My name is Antley Fowler, and uh, good friends with Derek, and every once in a while he lets me preach, which I'm super thankful for. I work for an organization called Young Life, and um, used to pastor a church, and uh, love to teach, especially about the topic of today, which is the Holy Spirit, and um, because I'm, I'm an evangelist in my heart, and uh, you're, you might be thinking, well, like, an evangelist tells people about Jesus, and I do love to tell people about Jesus, but... Um, I've kind of, I love to help people understand who God really is. I kind of call that evangelism. You know, I believe if people truly knew the love of Jesus Christ, they couldn't say no. I just, and I believe that if people understood the love of the Father, that they would go to all lengths to experience his love. And I think that in understanding our, our understanding of God as fathers, what informs the rest of our life. So I love teaching about that. And then the third part of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And there's just so many misunderstandings about him, and especially in the Western church, and what it looks like whenever he manifests in power and when he manifests in silence and intimacy through the different things. And, um, and so I'm super thankful that I get to teach today, and I'm, I hope that um, my greatest desire is that, uh, that God really moves in power. We're going to have an opportunity to really go for it and experience him, experience his life and his healing and, uh, you know, the first service when I was praying, because when you're a pastor of a church, like, you're, const- you're aware. There's an awareness you have of what God's doing in, your, in, the, in the church that you're shepherding. And so when you come in and speak, um, Laura and I are in a city group, OCC city group. We love it, and we get a, a kind of a taste of what's happening. Um, but we don't have the same, I don't have the same understanding. And so I was just praying in worship. I just thought, like, all right, Lord, you need to help me. Help me here. Like, what's going on? What do you want to do? And in the first service, I just saw this picture of Jesus weeping. And, um, and then I started to get emotional. I was like, what's going on here? And, and just the sense I had was that, um, that Jesus wants us today more than anything to bring, to come to him, and that he weeps for us to come to him, that he is broken in a, in a happy, healthy Jesus way over us as his children. And so, um, sure enough, this service, I'm worshiping again, and I'm praying, all right, Lord, what's going on with this group? I really believe, like, every service is different. I believe that the things I'll say right now are for the group that's in front of me, not for the podcast and the millions of people that are listening. <laughs> nah, you know, I know, I know. John Piper, you're welcome. Tim Keller, you're welcome. But I'm not speaking to you, all right? But, um... You know, when I was over there just praying again, and, I, and I, um, I just looked out in front of me and just saw the youth, like, just worshiping and going for it. And I just, my heart just broke, and just thinking as a father, like, more than anything, that's what I desire for my kids. And they're, they're just not there right now. And um, And I thought, you know... If that's the longing of my heart as a father, imagine our Father in heaven. Imagine the longing he has this morning for you to experience Jesus and the love of Jesus. And the way that my prayer for my children, it will not be more information. They know and understand the gospel. It will be an experience of the Holy Spirit that will bring them home. And the same is true for us this morning. Most of us probably know a lot. 
about Jesus. We know a lot, but it's not in our knowing that we experience his love. It's in an experience of his love, an embrace of the Father that brings us close, that reminds us of who we are because we are first children before we are anything else. In this scripture, oh, I want to pray first. I forgot first service to pray. (laughs) Oh, Lord. We just ask your spirit to come and open our hearts to your truth and that we would glimpse or pass through the shadow of your love for us, that Jesus, you would open the eyes of our heart and that we would be reminded of how precious we are to you and that today is an invitation from our Father to come experience the love of his Son, to experience your love for us, to be reminded of how precious we are and that we would just become great worshipers, pouring out our life for you in response to your love for us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and that you would move in power through the talk and through ministry time. Amen. So Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we all are carrying junk, right? We all, we read that verse. And if I said, you know, if I said, hey, raise your hand, if you have a burden that you would like to bring to Jesus, if you have, raise your hand, don't do this, it's hypothetical. (laughs) You're like, I got a burden. Don't do that. Well, I know all you do. And I do. And we hear that scripture and we, and we think, yes, Jesus, I want to come to you. Well, here's the deal. That's, that's the what. That, what we're going to talk about today is the how. How do we come to Jesus and give him our burdens? How do we experience the release of our burdens? I'll give you a hint. His initials are HS, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one. He's the one who brings us to Jesus, draws us to Jesus, and helps us give our burdens to Jesus. He's interceding for us to do that. And Jesus is sitting on the throne next to the Father. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Jesus said, it is better that I go away. It is better that I'm not with you, sitting next to you, walking with you physically every day. Because I could do that, and he did that, but he said, it is better that I go away so that my spirit can live inside of you, so that I can not only be with you, I can be in you. I can intercede for you in a way. I can give you life. I am the one who brings you to Jesus, releases your burdens, brings you freedom. I am the experience that Jesus talks about when he talks about freedom. I am the one who carries you through life, who will be with you every day. When you feel the presence of Jesus, you are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Now, they're one, so you're experiencing the Father and the Son too, but their purpose, their role, how they function is very clear in Scripture. And it is through experiences of the Holy Spirit 
milder, consistent ones, and grand, great ones, outpourings that we need. We need both of these to experience the life that Jesus has for us. Now, I know that, you know, as mature Christians, I mean, this is a great church. One of the great things, Derek is a, a great teacher of the gospel, reminding us constantly of grace. And not just that, but just all the whole counsel of Scripture. You know, they don't shy away from anything. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know the Word. You know the truth of the Word. You know, and you know, you know enough. I'll tell you right now, you know enough to be growing in your faith because of how Derek teaches the Word. And, and one of the hindrances for some of us is that we think, well, you know, I'm a mature Christian, and I read the Bible every day, I pray every day, I practice, you know, I fast, and I practice the disciplines of the Spirit. And those are all good things, Right? Those are all really good things. But it's so, you know, this, this, I don't really need this emotional side, right? Well, let me describe to you how the Bible describes a mature Christian. The maturity of a Christian, the evidence that God is alive and moving in somebody is through the power of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, period, end of story. It's not about how much you know. It's not about your theology, you know. It's not about any of those things. Those things are important. But those are not the things that will give you life unless they're empowered by the Spirit. You know, Tozier says that the devil is a better theologian than us all. The devil knows the Bible better than you. The, the devil knows the Bible better than any theologian that has ever walked the earth. Better than all of that. But he's the devil. He is the devil. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, but you don't know me because they weren't filled with the Spirit. And that is the role of the Spirit. And so if you are a mature Christian, you are the ones that I would expect are coming forward, are taking the risks, are wanting the outpouring, are hungry for more. Because it's through love, the, 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 the character that the Spirit is changing us into through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, you know, all of those, those are being transformed through the power of the Spirit in our hearts and in our life, so we are becoming more like Jesus. That's one mark of a mature Christian, is that they are on the journey, it's called sanctification. Now, the other mark of a mature believer is that they're moving in the power and the gifts of the Spirit. There is healing happening. There is evangelism happening. They are going on mission. They are building the kingdom of God through the power of the Spirit, the gifts of prophecy, words of knowledge, miracles, signs and wonders. These are the attributes of a mature Christian as described by Scripture, okay? And we want Scripture to inform our understanding of theology, of the Holy Spirit. We want scripture to inform that, not our experience. Because when we don't have an experience that we think we should, we have to go to scripture to understand, why not? Is this still real? Is this true? I haven't experienced this. I've prayed for healing, and this hasn't happened. I've done this. But the scripture is what grounds us in the truth, not our experiences. Because we know, it says the devil masquerades as an angel of light. We know that he has supernatural power as well. And so for us, it's the spirit living inside of us that informs us, that leads us, that empowers us to become who God created us to be. Now, the other group of people in here that I want to talk to are the people that don't feel like you're qualified, that don't feel like 
like God wants to do that with you, that he wants to pour out his love on you, that you can move in the power of the Spirit, that he can use the Spirit in you to, to manifest the, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's just a lie. That's just not true. Because if you're disqualified, I guarantee you I'd be disqualified. I guarantee you. If you knew my thoughts, I am wicked. And I mean, if it's not for Jesus, like, you know, it's not good. It's not good where my path leads, right? It's because of Jesus and only Jesus and the spirit that lives inside me. You know, it's, you know, ever since January, my wife has had me on a diet, right? I know, I know. Attractive but unavailable. Thin down, ladies, I know. She's over there, though, so, all right? And so, you know, trimmed down a little bit. But I've been eating awful food for two months. I mean, I'm going to grow freaking turkey feathers. And someone's going to kill me for Thanksgiving. I've had so much turkey. It's a zero-point food on Weight Watchers. And I've eaten a lot, a lot of it. And salads. I might have bunny ears. I've eaten so much salad. I mean, you know, and I'm wanting a ribeye. I want some, like, I want, like, fries, a Coke, you know, and, like, big fat hamburger or whatever. You know, that's the food I want. I want to feast on the good stuff. And we're like, we're like we're on a Christian diet. That's what we've learned in the Western church. As we have leaned down our theology, we have, we have controlled, that was the last bit, and we've controlled what we eat, what we choose to eat, so that we will conform to an image that we like and the world says a Christian should be. When scripture describes the kind of food we have in heaven, it says feast. There are no Weight Watchers in heaven, praise the Lord. I mean, I don't know if we're just all going to be really fat and just, woo, this is amazing. Or if we just eat stuff, there's no calories. I don't know how it's going to be. But it talks about great wine and great food and a banquet table. And I mean, right? But if that is true for heaven, we're called. I mean, we have experienced heaven on earth. We're experiencing heaven on earth. And one day it will be fulfilled is what scripture says. And so I love when Derek's talking about, like, we should be the best partiers. Church should feel like a date night, you know, with God. We should be the ones who celebrate the most because that is who God is. That is the kingdom of God. Yet, yet Western church has taught us to, to slim down, you know. And in our lives, we can ask, like, what parts of my faith am I dieting on? Am I really not going for it and expose myself to the bounty and the beauty and the, and the grandeur of God? And all that comes through the power of the Spirit. Because when Jesus says that, the how of this. So how do I get this? Well, Ephesians 5, 18 and 20 says this. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and singing in tongues is what that means. Singing and making a melody to the Lord with all of your heart. Your whole life making a melody of worship. The way you're living, the way you're experiencing him, the joy that you have, the life that you have, the hope and the peace that you have, making a melody, a song to the Lord of worship. It's all in the power of the Spirit. So be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These words, be filled with the Spirit, the Greek, when you unpack those verbs, is, it's, a, it is an, it's a command. 
It's a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion or it's not saying like, hey, for you kind of crazy feelers out there, this is for you. I put this in the word for you. So you can just go cray cray in church and just say, hey, fill with spirit. And just like, no, that's not, it's a command for everyone. It's a desire for everyone that God has given us. He's created us for this. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we will experience a life that sings a melody to the Father that's not full of burden and worry and anxiousness and pain. That does not sing to God's glory. Now, in the midst of our suffering and pain, as we bring that to God, and we trust him, and that's faith. Like, that's different. That, it does sing that to God. But to settle for those things in your life? No, 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 no. That does not sing beauty and glory and draw people to Jesus. You know, I think that there's three things that kind of we struggle with when we think about, when we think about this, you know. Um, I remember thinking, one is kind of pride. I remember, and just a, a, a knowledge of not understanding. Whenever, this was all new to me 20 years ago. I was in ministry, doing young life, reaching kids with the gospel, having campaigners, hundreds of kids coming to club, you know, taking them to camp, leading them to Jesus. I mean, it was awesome, right? And I'd meet somebody and be like, hey, are you a spirit-filled Christian? I'm like, yeah. Aren't we all spirit-filled? Well, do you go to a spirit-filled church? I was like, I think every church is spirit-filled, Right? You know, and there was this, like, pushback of, and not even seeking to understand what, the, I mean, I'm just like, those are the crazy mothers right there. Like, they're just, yeah, you, I know you. And you just, you're kind of nice and polite, but you're never, like, I never even questioned it. And it was just like off one little verse. I never even looked at it. And I'm like, how did I read the Bible? How was I in ministry for so long and never heard about this? It was because I was fed a Christian diet. I was going to seminaries that said, these things don't happen anymore. And I believed it because these were authorities in my life. And my experience confirmed what they were saying. So instead of the word informing Antley's journey and experience, it was other people. It were my own thoughts. It was my professors. They were all wrong. John Calvin was wrong too. So, you know, they're in good company. Um, I'll explain that later a little bit. It's not blasphemy to talk about John Calvin being wrong. I could be wrong about that, but it's not blasphemy because I'm not talking about Jesus. Okay, here we go. Um, but, um, but you can, I, I was experiencing all of these things in my life, but I felt like I knew something was missing. I could feel something was missing. And I, and I didn't know what it was because, again, I didn't have a theological hook to hang an experience of the Holy Spirit on, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, the, all the gifts of the Spirit being available, and, and you know, outpourings of the Spirit again and again. I didn't have any, and I, that, was, that was what I was about back then. Hadn't heard or experienced any of it. it says this in Ephesians 3.16. And so my point in that is that one of the things that prevents us from really moving into that is that we don't, we've never experienced it, but also we kind of look at it as crazy. We kind of look at it as silly. We look at it as optional. We think that I'm not that way. Like, that's just not who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a rational person. I'm not, ir like, that's irrational. Like, that's like ecstatic emotion. I don't need that. You know, God is the God of control. He's not chaotic. He's controlled. There's supposed to be order. Dude, when you're being, a demon's being cast out of you, there's no order to that. 
It is God restoring order where the enemy has brought chaos. That's what scripture's talking about there. It's whenever we see someone getting healed by the Holy Spirit and they might fall over, they might scream because it's inner healing and there's something happening that we don't see or understand. That might seem like it's out of control or that it's irrational, but what's happening internally to their spirit is they, they're, they're conforming to the image of Christ. They're being freed from slavery and bondage. I mean, when that happens, what should our response be? Cheering. It should be ecstatic. When we're delivered from our brokenness or healed physically, emotionally, or spiritually, a normal response would be joy and celebration. So even though it may look in the physical like there's chaos happening that I don't understand, and the internal and the spiritual realm, there is order. God is bringing order where there's been chaos, where there's been brokenness. He's bringing healing. In Acts 2, 4, it says this, and this is Pentecost, which is a unique season for the church, and some of the things that happened at Pentecost were unique to what God was beginning to do with the church in the early church. But nowhere in Scripture does it say we won't and can't and shouldn't experience or pursue those same manifestations. We see Paul in Acts 3 persecuting and killing Christians. And then Acts 9, he's praising the name of the Lord. Well, what happened there? Did Paul have more information? No. He had an experience of the Spirit. That's what happened to Paul. That's what changed him from killing Christians, trying to kill the church, to proclaiming the Lord as Lord. And immediately when he experienced the Spirit, Lord, that was his response. Lord, is that you? When Acts 2, 4, it says this, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And again, there was great enthusiasm here. People thought they were drunk. They were acting, they were acting crazy. It's like cray-cray Christians going off everywhere, speaking in different languages, people not being understood. They had to stand up and he said, you know, hey, this is what's happening. And we hear that and we're like, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to be that guy or that gal. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't like that. I'm, like, that makes me feel scared because I, I don't feel in control. And, and so we, we, we kind of put, like, I'm not, like, that's irrational. I'm rational. And being rational and being thoughtful and being, you know, how you process information, those are good things that God created in you, but not if they prevent you from trusting him more, not if they prevent you from experiencing more of his life. And we say we don't want that. Well, I want to tell you a story. This is uh, Charles Finney. Charles Finney? Charles Finney is this great theologian that lived in the 1600s. And he ended up kind of, not falling off the deep end, but just bringing some theology forth that wasn't great. But prior to that, he was a critical thinker. He was a great theologian. He was as rational as you get. And he is in the process of figuring out who Jesus is and studying and reading and doing all these things. I want to read you a quote from him about what happened to him and his conversion experience and how he came to Jesus. Charles Finney says this about his experience. The Holy Spirit descended upon me and as a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul, I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed 
to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I cannot express it in any other way. It seems like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. Okay, so this is a theologian, and he's feeling waves and waves of liquid love. Now, I read that, and I'm like, why, would not, why, would not we, why wouldn't we want that? Why would you not want that? Why would we not be willing to do whatever it takes to get that? I, I, it doesn't make sense to me, because waves and waves of liquid love, I mean, holy cow, that'd be amazing, right? I mean, He's doing this with this very analytical, rational guy. He goes on to say this. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept out loud with joy in love. And I do not, and I do not know. But I should say, he's like, I'm not sure about this. But I should say, I literally bellowed out unutterable gushings of my heart. He's like saying, like, I don't know what happened, but what I know is I was snot crying and stuff was coming out of my mouth that I don't understand. It was insane. Bellowing, crying out, sobbing is what the thesaurus says that word means. We don't use that anymore. I was bellowing the other night. And utterable gushings of my heart. I mean, this is a rational guy trying to get his head around what he just experienced, right? And he can't. He can't explain it. It's too wonderful. Okay? And it says that um, I shall die. The waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect. I cried out, I shall die if these wavers, which I guess used to be a word back then, these, or is this a typo, continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, yet I had no fear of death. Oh, my goodness. Imagine... Imagine, I mean, that's powerful. That's amazing. And that, he didn't even ask for that. The Lord knew what he needed. And it wasn't more information. It was an experience of his Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I'm, I want to read this, there's another part of the quote, is because we think that these experiences are just emotional. We think these experiences don't transform our heart or our mind, which is what Scripture and what the Lord's desire is, is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ, who, who, it says, grew in his knowledge of the Lord, Jesus. And so we're on the same journey, the same path. And the Spirit is what leads us, and the Father knows what we need to stay on this path. But it says this about Finney. Finney says this. So it's a weird, awkward experience that he has, but then he says this in his quote. He says, in this state, while he's having this blubbering experience, I was taught the doctrine of justification by faith as a present experience. Experience. That doctrine had never taken any such possession of my mind. Never thought about it. Never understood it. Most important doctrine in Christianity, pretty much, is the doctrine of salvation by faith and not works. Okay? And so it, it, it never had any possession of mine. And I had... And that I had ever viewed it distinctly as a fundamental doctrine of the gospel. Indeed, I do not know at all what it meant in the proper sense, but I can now see and understand what was meant by the passage, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's experiencing this peace 
that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ as he understood the doctrine of the justification by faith while he is also feeling this outpouring of God's spirit. It is a great picture of both and. It's both and. And so if you're an ecstatic, crazy feeler, and you know, like this is easier for you, then this is the rational side and the study and the steady stream of the word is, is where the spirit, you might struggle in allowing the spirit to take you. And if you're the rational Bible study person that is disciplined and practices where the spirit might want to take you is into this other side to experience things you've never felt. But in both cases, the Holy Spirit is the agent of that transformation and change. The second thing I think is that there's, there's bad teaching about the Holy Spirit in the Western church because people struggle with experiencing him. And when they haven't experienced him, they allow the lack of their experience to trump what the scripture says. And so they back into the bad theology about the Holy Spirit. You cannot pick up the Bible, read it cover to cover and leave thinking, yep, Holy Spirit's no gifts. He's done with that. He's all done. Holy Spirit doesn't pour out his spirit again. You know, one time, one and done. You know, we're filled, we're filled it. When we become a believer, there's not a second, third, fourth, there's not that outpouring stuff, nope. And so they back into it and they use scripture like Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. And you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is guaranteed of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so we're taught this word sealed is meaning that we're topped off. See, like you've been filled up, you're sealed, no more comes in, no more comes out. Except that's just not what you read in the rest of Scripture. And that's not what that word means, sealed. The word means sealed is the same word that's used in Revelation, where it talks about sealing our hearts, marking us as his own. We are sealed by the Spirit, meaning that we have been marked by the Spirit and that we belong to God. Who do we belong to? We used to belong not to God, and now we belong to God. We receive the Holy Spirit. It's like a stamp of the inheritance of what's to come fully in heaven. It marks us. It, one, one definition said, this seal hides us from the devil. That's what it means. One of the meanings. And so the idea is never meant to mean, never meant to mean that we, there, there, you know, that there's not more for us. There's not more to experience. There's not more outpouring. There's not more power in us that runs through us, that brings transformation. And if you think about it, it makes logical sense as well. Because more than anything, like I was saying today in that picture that Jesus gave me of intimacy, he wants to bring us back again and again to him, to experience his love, to know that we belong to him, which is the thing that really we struggle with the most, to believe that God is good, that he can be trusted. It was an original sin. You know, Adam and Eve, did the, did, is God, why, why would he really say that? Oh, he doesn't want you to be like him. You really can't trust him. He's really not good. Because if he was good, he'd let you have everything. Same thing we struggle with today. Is God really a good father? Can we really trust him? Do we believe that what we're talking about now is from him, that he wants this for us, that he wants more for us? It's the same line. We struggle with it so much. But I think the third thing that I'm going to talk about is that we just settle for less. 
I, I think that we've been taught that we can lean down, we can have both the world and Jesus, and that's what we settle for because it's comfortable. And the enemy loves that. He loves that. You know, and there are legitimate things that make us feel this way. You know, I mean, we're busy. We got a lot going on in our life. You know, I, I mentioned that Laura and I are in this city group where these young couples, they're amazing. They're way cooler than us. Well, way cooler than me. My wife's pretty cool. Well, she's good looking too. Okay, so. <laughs> she's like. Gosh, I could just. And they're just really great people. And um, we opened it this one week just for sharing. And oh my goodness, they just started to unpack stuff that's going on in their life. Just overwhelming stuff. It was, it was an incredible blessing to be a part of. And also my heart just broke, just the busyness and the stuff with their children and illness and extended family stuff. With, it's just violent, just awful, just awful. And that's real. And the enemy uses, he leverages that in our life. Problems that we have with work or feeling lonely, feeling abandoned, feeling lost, or whatever it is, we all feel these things. And instead of them bringing us to Jesus, if we believe that, that he's not a good father and that he doesn't have more for us, we might pray about him, but we, we don't expect for him to, to transform those things in our life in a way that we can experience peace in the midst of that. We just want to take it away. When some of our greatest experiences, like what I was talking today about my kids, like that ache in my heart for them to know the Lord and for them to experience his goodness, for them to come back to him, that keeps me on my knees. Like that keeps me real with Jesus. That draws me to him. And I pray for them to experience that. But it's, it's the belief that he wants that for them. It's, it's belief. You know, we're singing that song that he will finished what he's begun and stuff. And I'm thinking like, I've had words and I've had pictures. People prophesied over my kids. And that is what the Lord brings to my heart. He reminds me of those promises. He reminds me and he gives me hope, not because of what I see, but because what he says in his word. Because what people have told me through the power of the spirit. And my hope comes from those promises, not my experience or what I see with my eyes. I mean, the scripture says that greater is he who believes when they don't see. And so we can't believe what we see as the truth. That is one of the things that God can use to confirm the truth, but it's what we read in the word that informs us of what the truth is and where life comes from and how we pursue that. And the enemy wants us to feel busy. He wants us to feel discouraged. He wants us to not bring those things to Jesus because he knows that until we do, we are paralyzed. We will not grow. We will not grow as people that become who God created us to be. We will not build his kingdom. We cannot build his kingdom without power. We don't fight against flesh and blood, it says. We fight about, uh, against principalities of darkness. Well, you don't fight darkness with facts. You don't fight darkness with theology. You don't fight, I mean, these are, I mean, theology's good. You don't, you fight darkness with spiritual power, with the gifts of the spirit, through the power of the spirit. And so again, this is an invitation, but it's also a command. Why is my life so like this? For the last 10 years, I've done this. I continue to struggle with this. I don't know why this hasn't changed. 
Well, I would say, have you pursued more of Jesus? Have you done whatever it takes to get what God has created for you to be? You know, the thing, the main thing that caused me to stop leading RCC was this. It was the Lord telling me, are you willing to, to, to do what you've been preaching? Which is, you need to do whatever it takes to make sure that you're experiencing intimacy with the Father. Because everything flows out of that. And my identity had become so wrapped up in being a pastor and being a leader that it was taking away from my understanding and experience of being a child. And he said, you can stay and continue to do this, but it will be a lot harder because this has become who you see yourself as, not as I see you. Or you can leave and it'll be way easier because you'll be out of that role. And so I left. I left because that's what was most important to me. It was hard. It was really hard. And the Holy Spirit had to yank me out of it and stuff. But in the end, it was, it was, I wouldn't change it. And I'm thankful that I'm not doing that anymore and that Derek is. <laughs> and so, John Piper says this, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. That, that, I mean, that describes where my life got to. I'd settled for the small things. I'd settled for the approval of people. I'd settled for the role I was in, the respect that I had, that I was getting to use my gifts and function and it was fun and I loved it. I love leading the team, but I had settled for smaller things than what God had for me. And that's hard. I mean, it's hard to really, in the midst of our busyness, our brokenness, and all that's going on in our life, to really believe that Jesus can make a difference in those areas. And so we hesitate. We try to control things. We try to read more parenting books or work or whatever they are. But I get it. It's real. The struggle is real. You know, when I left the church, I went to run a construction site. I didn't know anything that I was doing. I was exhausted all the time. It was awful. It was awful. I mean, awful. And I wait. I mean, it's nothing worse than like going to bed thinking of like, I have no idea what I'm doing tomorrow. And then waking up saying, yep, tomorrow's here. And I still don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Contractors showing up. And I'm just like making stuff up. Like I'm just asking questions and, you know, and you'd think in that, you know, you would think in that context that I'd be like, Jesus, help me. no. I did not open, look at, or think about Jesus for at least three months, probably longer, because I struggled with understanding or believing that he could really make a difference. I was so tired, so frustrated, so upset and angry. It's just like, no, I got to go do this. So I get it. It's a real struggle. But the experience, that reality cannot become our spiritual reality and quest. The quest is to come back to experience the life that he has for us. The invitation is Jesus weeping, the Father wanting us to come to him as a Father who wants us to experience the life that he has given his Son to die for. And so ways to be filled with the Spirit. In Africa, there's, the way they weather their crop, there's two ways they weather their crop, right? One of them, one of the way, whenever they're like out in the middle of nowhere, one of the ways is they, they have a reservoir that they build around a stream bed and the stream's like steadily flowing, right? And then the reservoir, they block it, it fills up and then it flows out into the rest of their crops and that's how it gets watered. But in places where there's not a stream bed, what they do, or there's not an active flowing stream, they build a reservoir and a dry stream bed 
Okay, you might be thinking like, why do they do that? It's a dry stream bed. Because in Africa, they have torrential downpours where the water, the heavens open up and it is violent. It comes down and it just floods everything. It fills the reservoir up. The reservoir breaks and it just goes down and it, and it floods this crop. And that's how this flood, this uncontrolled flood that's been directed by channels and rivers and all they do it, feed and grow this crop. Well, in our country... In the Western church, not just our country, but in the Western church, we've been taught to come to the stream on a regular basis. You know, come to the stream and read the word. That's the spirit, enlightening that and filling up. You know, the disciplines of the spirit, worship on Sundays, fellowship, small groups, the dis- you know, fasting and prayer. Those are the, that's the steady stream that God's called us to, the scripture is clear about, and that feeds us on a regular basis, a daily basis, it says for us to come back there. But we avoid the outpouring. We avoid the torrential downpours. That's scary. That's out of control. I don't know if I like that. And I got the steady stream anyway. Why do I need that? Because I just told you why. You're busy in life. And there's times where you get to a point where it's not enough. The steady, slow stream. And I don't like using that language. But my point is this, the steady slow stream becomes so familiar, it's not giving life anymore. So repetitive, it's not cutting it for us. For whatever reason, and God shows us in those times, we need both. We need the torrential downpour. Whenever we have someone who's dying from cancer and this isn't doing it, where do we go? We go to healing services. We go for an outpouring of the spirit. I'm dry, addiction, or whatever. I can't break this in my life. I'm going to the word. I'm praying about this. The desires of my heart aren't changing. And so God says, come and seek more. Ask for more. There's more for you. I have more. There can be torrential downpours that will wash that out of you. We had a guy in worship one time, addicted to heroin. I would meet with him. I didn't even know he was on heroin. He was on heroin, addicted to heroin, right? And he's in worship. Holy Spirit falls on him, instantly healed. Instantly healed, goes into missions, and then starts to work for the missions as a response to what the Holy Spirit did in worship. All right? And he was doing this, but it wasn't changing. And so God brought him into this situation where he said, all right, that's not working for whatever reason. Could be your brokenness, could be your life experience, whatever it is, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on you and bring healing and life. And, and we need both, we need both. Now the danger of the person that's doing this every day is it becomes familiar, becomes unexciting, we slowly stop to do it or becomes religious and we avoid that. And so we have a faith that is deeper but it doesn't go as deep. It's very one-dimensional. It's very cognitive. And so we know that Jesus loves us, but we've never experienced the love of Jesus. Right? We know that's true. We know, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but we never feel him come and wash those out of us. We never feel him come and take those from us. We don't experience it physically or in our spirit. Now, the danger of the torrential downpour is like people who, like, they go from conference to conference, like Sunday to Sunday. They don't spend any time drinking over here or very little. And then they come over here and they're like, I need an experience of God because I just did X, Y, and Z again and again and again. And their life is like a flipping roller coaster, right? Because in the desert or in, the, in Africa, there might not be rain for a long time, months, the same thing, like they might have those, might not experienced that for a long time. And so they, they have these shallow lives of faith. They never grow deep into the intimacy that the Lord has for them. 
And it's just like a roller coaster, doubting where's God, this, that, and the other. And so it's both and. We need both and. That is how God has wired us. That is how we grow in our relationship with him. Okay, so we need both. I'm way ahead here. Oh, boy. It's almost go time, people. Like, if we're going to be ready to do this in a second, right? This is one of those talks, like, I talk, and I'm just like, I got to get to the end. I got to get to the end, because that's when the fun, it's going to happen. It's happening, right? And so, so this is what we do. And so, like, asking, like, how do we get this? Like, how do we get the trenchal, right? How do we get this? That's, that's what this today's talk's about, is, is being filled with the Spirit, okay? And, and the way it happens is this, is you yield, you just say, Lord, I want more. I want more. And you might, con- and you confess. As the Spirit searches you and he knows you, you confess your brokenness. You confess your pride. You confess what, what, whatever it has been from not trusting him. This is a trust issue. This is a faith issue. And so what have you been trusting? What have you been trusting instead of trusting Jesus? What have you been trusting instead of trusting the word of God as it describes the Father and how he manifests his power and his love in our life? What have you been doing instead of that? And so you're confessing that. You're bringing that to him. And the promise of the word is he takes it. That's why he died. It belongs to him. It's never meant to be yours. It's his. It belongs to him. And so you confess that and we wait. We let go of control so that we will trust God. You know, we take risks in areas that we maybe never have risked. You know, we come, we come down forward. You know, I know in, in our church, you know, if, when you call people forward, they think, oh man, <laughs> Derek told me a funny story. Whenever he, he used to come forward. <laughs> don't ever tell me a story before I talk. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Because I'm gonna use it and just say it was the Lord. Okay? So Derek... <laughs> Derek was telling me that he, he used to come for prayer and Beth would just be sobbing, right? And he's like, so awkward. Like, she's like, he's, he would be like, she's sobbing again. This is so weird. Like, right? And then as, as he began to experience the Lord more, he's like, that's what I want for her every day that she comes to pray and experience the Lord. But it's awkward, right? It's just, it can be awkward when we've never experienced it. So we have to trust, we have to risk, we have to surrender, but it's, it's, I'm saying a lot, but it's literally this. Lord, help me. Lord, come. I want more of you. I yield. I'm just come. Anything in my heart that has not allowed this to happen, that is broken, will you take it so that I can experience more of your love? That's, that's what I'm talking about. He does the rest. You can't make him do anything. We posture our hearts so that we're ready, we're wanting, we're yielding to him in faith, that when scripture says, when we ask for him to come, he comes, whether we feel him or not. We trust the word. When we don't see, we don't feel. He is there. He's always there. He is always moving. Scripture says he's always interceding for us on our behalf and utterances that we don't understand because he knows what we need. You know, there was, um, there was a time, like this, this was all new to me 20 years ago. And I'd never heard this before, like I said. And, and, uh, and when, whenever I went over to say, I went over on like a life course weekend. You guys are getting ready to do life course. I'm super pumped. I'm super excited about it. But, um, but not recently, like it's happening in the future. But um, 
And so I go to St. Mary's and I'm like, I remember reading this Martin Lloyd-Jones thing and I remember saying that this is available because I felt like something was missing. Didn't have a theological hook, got the theological hook. They invited the Holy Spirit. They talked about the Holy Spirit. They invited the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm like, all right, is my head gonna spin around? Like, am I gonna get thrown across the room? Like, what's gonna happen? I mean, my heart was like beating out of my chest because I knew, like, I finally had the, the information from scripture. Like, this is available Oh, this is, I knew immediately, like, this is what I've been missing. And I was hungry like a wolf. I mean, and I was like, come on. And I felt the love of the Father for the first time. I knew the love of the Father, but I grew up adopted. I struggled with abandonment. It was so hard for me to have emotions at all. And I felt this warm outpouring of Jesus. I fell over, and I could have gotten up, but I didn't want to get up. I could have gotten up, but I did not want, it was just, to say, to steal the words, waves and waves of liquid love, it was something like that. I don't know what it was. It just felt really good. It was familiar because I knew him, but it never experienced him. Well, after that happened, I got like hungry for this and like going for it in places. So I was like flying everywhere, going to conferences, right? Because I want to experience this. And I went to this conference and it was crazy. It was crazy. There were like these things called fire tunnels, right? And there, these fire tunnels, what would happen? <laughs> Laura's with me. They'd like line up facing each other like this and you run through the tunnel and they're like praying in tongues and stuff. And you're running through this tunnel, right? And people are like falling down. They're saying they're getting healed, like all this stuff. And I remember like, I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, am I really gonna do this? I hope nobody, I hope this is not live and I hope that no one's videoing this. What stays in the fire, what happens in the fire tunnel stays in the fire tunnel. And so, sure enough, I'm like, but if this, if this, I've, I've tasted now, like I know there is more and there's something available. So I'm like, screw it. And I'm like running through the fire tunnel, right? Just going for it. I run through one, I run through another one. I run through the third one. I'm like, dang it, nothing, nothing. I mean, there's nothing like running through a fire tunnel and looking around and being like, what, just, what did I just do? Can't believe it. But here's what happened. This is what I was saying is, and I remember going to the Lord like, what, I like what's going on here? And he's like, Antley. He's like, that's all I want is you wanted more. You wanted more and you were obedient. You wanted more and you came. It's not about what you're experiencing. I'm after your heart. Do you want my intimacy with me? Do you want to bring, like, am I the one you want? And are you willing to do whatever it takes to give it, to give me? Now, another guy I was with who has cancer, had had cancer for a long time. Surgeries, was supposed to die, all these things. Well, he was with me too. He went through the fire tunnel. His experience was insane. Like, he had this healing experience. He was lethargic, only could, was like up two hours a day, was really worn out all the time. After, he couldn't barely talk. He couldn't barely eat. I remember watching him eat french fries. He was like, slow motion. Like a baby. He was like a baby. And I was like, holy cow, like, this is so weird. And, uh, and I remember going home, and he ran three miles. He went home, and he ran three miles. And then he went and knocked down. He knocked on every door of every neighbor to tell him about Jesus. It wasn't about the fire tunnel. For me, it was about faith and coming to the Lord. For him, it was about proclamation and taking what he felt and experienced and healing and proclaiming that. One led to 
intimacy. Other led to power. Both experiences, different experiences, but trusting that God is moving regardless of what we feel, what we see. So we're going to do that now. We're going to do a fire tunnel right here. We're going to get... No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Do you want to do that? We're going to do a spanking machine. Holy Spirit spanking machine. <laughs> no. You know, we're going we're gonna to create space right now for God to meet us. And he wants to meet all of us. He is the father who has sacrificed what is most precious to him so that you can experience his love right now, so that you can experience more right now. Whether you think it or not, that's okay. Whether you believed what I just taught, that's okay. Test it. Weigh it up. Come before the Lord. Come Holy Spirit. I want more of what you have. Whatever that might feel or look like, I want it. I want more. And I know when you, you know, I, we're gonna, I'm going to encourage you to hold out your hand so it just demonstrates I want, I want what you have, Father. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes so you're not distracted by people around you. And I'm going to invite you forward if you want to come. And I know that when you come forward, I know what you're thinking, like everybody's looking at me. No, people are going to be terrified of what God's about to do to them. But what God, in a good way, they're worried about like what's going to happen. Hopefully, they're not worried about you. There's nothing wrong with you. They're spending time, hopefully, receiving what God has for them. So let's stand. I'm going to end with this scripture. It says um, in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Folks, the fountain is there. If you have become a follower of Jesus, the fountain of overflowing water is there, okay? You're just asking the Lord to release him. You're, asking, you're giving Holy Spirit freedom to, to rule and to reign and to bring you what you, know you what you don't even know that you need. And again, whenever I invite the Holy Spirit and ask him to come, he's already here, but when I invite the Holy Spirit to come, it's because Luke tells us to in his gospel. He says, ask and the Father will give you the Spirit. So we're asking. And I don't get how all that works. But I know that that's what Scripture says. And so we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. And some of us will feel him and some of us won't. Some of us he's going to reveal things to. And some of us won't feel like he has. And if you, if, if you don't get what you want, let it create hunger in you. The enemy wants you to feel disappointment and discouragement. The Father wants you to be drawn to him. And that's what this time is all about, experiencing more of the Father's love. And so let's just do what I just talked about. Let's just close our eyes. Let's everybody, just close your eyes, hold your hands out. So you, you know, and I'm just gonna pray. And we're gonna wait, just like the disciples did in the upper room. He said, just wait, wait for my spirit. So we're gonna wait. And then we're going to begin to do ministry and see what the Holy Spirit.